The 2020 campaign heads into the final stretch. Today on Deep Background, two great political reporters, Jonathan Sherman and Brian Lowry, join us to take stock of the important races and where voters might be headed. All today on Deep Background. Well, greetings here on Deep Background for the 21st of October. The clock is ticking, Election Day now just two weeks away, although people all over the country, including Missouri and Kansas, of course, are casting ballots. Dave Helling now with the Stars editorial board joining you, and Derek Donovan, my friend and colleague on the Ed Board, and two great political reporters. This is the big show, the big pre-election show. Next week, we're going to talk about how voters can avoid misinformation as they make up their minds on the podcast. But this week, let's do horse race. Two great uh, political journalists to talk about the state of the races in Kansas and Missouri. Brian Lowry joining us from Washington, the McClatchy DC Bureau, and Jonathan Shoreman, just named the star's lead political reporter, uh, is joining us for the podcast as well. Guys, thanks so much for this discussion. Good to be on. All right, great. Well, let's start at the beginning, Jonathan. We're going to do three races, three horse races uh, that we need to chat about. First, let's start with the race that a lot of people, actually four races, the two house races in Kansas. Therese Davids and Amanda Adkins in the third, and then Jake LaTurner and Michelle De La Isla in the second. How do you see those races shaking out? We haven't seen a lot of polling, but you do get the sense that that uh, Davids is the favorite in the third and, and uh, Turner in the second. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I think, um, I think that's probably a safe characterization, but, uh, you know, on the Atkins, uh, Davids race, you know, I, I think that the single biggest thing you can kind of look at was back when the U S chamber of commerce endorsed, uh, Sharice Davids, uh, the Democrat. And I think if that doesn't tell you a lot about the kind of the state of that race, um, I'm not sure what will, uh, you're right. We don't have a lot of great polling in, in either state. I think there's some expectation we could get a New York times poll later in the week, which would be great. Um, uh, on the uh, in the second district, uh, certainly there was a lot of drama uh, in that race earlier in the year when um, uh, incumbent Steve Watkins, the the current Republican office holder, was um, criminally charged related to voter fraud, and then went on to to lose that that primary. You know, I think. Uh, Post-primary, that, that race has been uh, fairly uh, drama-free for the most part. You know, Jake LaTurner is kind of um, a, a pretty normal Kansas Republican, all things considered. And, and I think um, we haven't really seen many signs uh, that um, certainly we, we don't see polling sh any polling showing that Michelle De La Isla, the uh, Topeka mayor and the Democratic nominee, is ahead. So um, I wouldn't be surprised um, either way, but but I certainly haven't seen uh, anything uh, to suggest that, that Turner uh, isn't in the lead in that race. Can you hear us now, Brian? 
Yeah, I can. I apologize for that. In the middle of Dave's preamble to the show, uh, my my headphones just cut out, so I'm going a bit more low tech now. Uh, but I, I don't know what that says about what Dave was saying. Maybe he was dropping such awesome knowledge that my headphones uh, couldn't handle it. But yeah, it's a it's an exciting time in both states. I mean, we have some legitimately competitive top tier races, and then, and then we also have some uh, races where. You, you do think some incumbents are going to cruise to victory. Let, let's come back to that. The Senate race and governor's race in both states yeah, really. I want to come back really to that, but I want to focus a little bit on the two House races we just talked to Jonathan about, in which we think that Sharice Davids is the favorite in the third, and we think that Jake LaTurner is the favorite uh, in the second. Why is that? I, I think we both thought that, we all thought, that both of those might be more competitive for different reasons. First of all, the second district race is an open seat. Watkins got beat. Well, I, I think the, 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 the dynamics of both races are very different. And, you know, keep in mind the uh, second district is it's kind of a curious district. It stretches from the northeast corner to the state down to the Oklahoma border. It has some urban areas, but has a lot of rural, and it's spread across all of these different media markets. The third district is very compact. It is it is the KC Metro uh, seat, and it's 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 a it's a suburban seat with also uh, the urban core of Kansas City, Kansas. And what you're seeing in suburban communities like Johnson County is those are communities that broke for the Democrats in. 2018 and as long as trump is in the white house those communities are are sticking with the democrats so i I just think with with trump on the ballot uh it was tough to make that race competitive national republicans did have a theory about targeting that race early on but it was it was so closely tied to bernie sanders being the democratic nominee and forcing uh, Sharice Davids to answer questions about it, socialism it, for three months. Yeah. Is it I, fair? That didn't happen. And so she they've not invested in that. And it, it's just kind of like she's, it, she can kind of, she's kind of cruising at this point. And, you know, notably is actually helping raise money for Michelle de la Isla. She was doing that the other day. And so she's now starting to turn her her attention towards trying to help other Democrats in both the region and across the nation get elected. And that second district race, I think, you know, it was one of the closest races in the nation two years ago. National Democrats have put some money in, but they haven't put nearly as much as they did in 2018. And there's also a little bit of a difference between, you know, Watkins in 2018 was a problematic candidate. He was going to be even more problematic uh, under facing a criminal indictment. Turner winning the nomination, I think both parties think that's shorted up. It's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily in the bag because if we do have a real Democratic wave, uh, particularly one where Barbara Bollier really outperforms in the second district, that could be very tight, but it, it's just it's just not as much, not as much resources are going into that race as, as they did two years ago. And, and we should point out that, and w- again, one of the reasons I'm focused on it is Dela Isla is a good candidate. I mean, she's peak as mayor, very yeah. smart, and Amanda Adkins is a good candidate. I mean, she's she you know has been around politics. These are not you know, uh, uh, far uh, difficult races. I mean, they're, they're actually quality and could be competitive, and yet they're not. And so, Brian, I'll ask you and then Jonathan, 
Is that because of Trump in a way? I mean, I think you're exactly right in the third, Brian, that Trump is a is a lodestone, if you will, on Amanda Adkins. But maybe Trump helps Jake LaTurner in the second. Yeah, I think it is. I think a lot of this has to do with, um, I think one way to think about a lot of the federal races in in Kansas this year is it really matters what Trump's total is in each uh, congressional district and, and statewide, and certainly in the in the third district, we expect Biden to win, and we expect Barbara Boyer to d- perform really well there in the Senate race, and then Sharice Davids is coming in with some popularity and a lot of cash, and so then when you look at the second, um, it was a strong Trump district in uh, 2016. We don't know if it will be that strong again, but there is maybe that coattails effect, which will be enough to to certainly allow uh, Jake LaTurner to get across the line. But, you know, credit to Michelle DeLisa. She's been able to raise some some real money, and and she's she's definitely made this seat more competitive than some people thought even just, you know, even just a year ago. Jonathan, has any have any of these four candidates made any big mistakes that you've seen between the primary and the general? Uh I don't think so. I, you know, I think, um, I think we've seen kind of fairly, uh, you know, standard campaigns from, from all of them with, uh, no major, uh, 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 gaffes, if you want to call them that, or, or other kind of scandals, uh, from, uh, any of those four candidates. Uh, you know, I would say I, I agree with, with Brian's analysis in terms of, uh, in terms of Trump, I think, especially in the third district, uh, you know, this is a district that um, has been uh, turning a little bit more purple each, uh, every couple of years for, for a while. And certainly I think, I think uh, Donald Trump uh, in 2016 and over the last four years has, has basically been like uh, putting a brick on the accelerator uh, from some, for some of those uh, trends, especially in, in Johnson County. You know, the, the, the conventional wisdom, Jonathan, is that the, the, the first reelection for a congressperson, man or woman, is the most vulnerable time for that incumbent, uh, that, that if you're going to get Sharice Davids, now is the time. Because if she beats Amanda Adkins and beats her uh, convincingly, it's going to be difficult for, for other Republicans to raise money and sort of, sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, run credible races against her. Which was the Dennis Moore approach, and yeah. he sat in that seat for for six, five, six terms. So, so uh, unless things change, it looks like David's is going to have a fairly safe seat, huh? Well, I, I would say um, certainly we don't know um, what the what the political environment is going to be one or two cycles from now, um, especially the, the question of whether we're looking at a uh, Democratic nominee, uh, Joe Biden, uh, or a Democratic nominee, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, in 2024. Or uh, whether that's just an entirely open question after if President Trump is uh, reelected, um, but certainly yes, you're right. The the conventional wisdom of past history does suggest that um, this kind of first reelection campaign is the most uh, vulnerable time um, for for these uh, incumbents. Um, but yeah, sure. Representative Davids has uh, certain advantages this year, uh, not the least being that um, you know she gets to, to run um, when 
her district uh, is going to be voting on, uh, at least in that district, in certain areas of that district, is probably a historically unpopular president. And, and Brian, well, this, is, this is also the district where the redistricting fight is really key. You, you guys wrote about this the other week, which is when Susan Wagel was talking about how Republicans need to win a supermajority in the legislature to district out Sharice Davids in 2022, she's one, kind of acknowledging that they don't think they're going to win that seat this year. But she's also acknowledging that, you know, the way this district is made up, it has moved away from the Republicans. And so if they're, it's essentially, if, if this remains the KC Metro seat, the way that we think of it, it's really tough to see um, a scenario where David's gets dislodged anytime soon. Okay, let me just wrap up this conversation by pointing out also that Sharice Davids has run her office and taken votes that are pretty smart for her district. She has not gone full uh, Ocasio-Cortez. She's remained fairly available. I mean, she's actually been a fairly skilled politician in the first two years. Maybe that's one reason why she's in good shape. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the star for $1.99 total. That's right. You get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So go grab your computer or mobile device and head to KansasCity.com slash background. And hey, thanks for listening. Okay, Jonathan, let's jump back over to Missouri for a minute and take a look at the Mike Parson, Nicole Galloway uh, race. Uh, um, uh, Again, we don't have a ton of polling, but it seems like the incumbent is doing pretty well, even though COVID and the response to COVID remains a big issue in Missouri, and he seems vulnerable there. How do you analyze that race? Yeah, I I think you're right. we don't have extensive polling. What we do have suggests that Parson holds at least some kind of lead in the race, uh, either a large lead or, or a, a less imposing lead, depending on what you're looking at. But, um, but yeah, I think COVID certainly has been one of the key issues uh, in this race, and certainly uh, Nicole Galloway, the Democratic nominee, is, has made it. Um, basically essentially core to her campaign. Um, and I think, you know, what we've seen is is that uh, at least uh, in rural areas of the state, in um, typically Republican-leaning areas of the state, either, either that message isn't resonating quite as much as it needs to, or uh, voters have outright decided that they, they, they prefer a Governor Parsons' approach, which is um, one of... of you know, I guess you could call it maximum local control, where he has uh, declined to issue a statewide mask mandate and has uh, basically left uh, all decisions more or less about statewide about rules and, and restrictions, safety precautions uh, to, to local officials. Um, now, 
to all uh, add to that an addendum is that um, really over the last few weeks we've seen um, I think it, it's it's hard to deny at this point that uh, there has been a kind of a, a increase in the severity of, of the virus across Missouri where I think the star was even reporting uh, earlier this week or, or, or late last week that the hospitals in the Kansas City area were we're kind of uh, bursting at the steam, seams and we're having capacity issues uh, in some parts of the state. Um, whether that has any kind of late uh, breaking effect in, in the race, I think uh, remains to be to be seen. But um, but certainly the trends on on uh, Missouri and COVID right now are, are not good. Brian, we just talked a little bit about the role that President Trump's candidacy might play in these two House races. And I, we're going to get to the Senate race here in a minute, and I think that's an important issue. But it seems like the president's support is less relevant in governor's races like Missouri, like Galloway and Parson. Uh, clearly, at a global level, the Trump uh, candidacy has some impact, but you don't see an effort to tie Parson with Trump as much as you see one trying to tie, say, Roger Marshall to Trump. Do you think that's right? How, how, would you, how do you see that race? Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it, is, it is a situation in the governor's race where it is a little bit more local. Uh, I don't think the presidential race is irrelevant because I think it does ultimately help uh, drive turnout. I think one thing to understand that is the Missouri race is so much about geography. It's a really difficult uh, combination that you need to do as a Democrat to win statewide in Missouri. One thing Galloway is really doing that, that we, we've covered is she's really trying to maximize turnout in urban areas like Kansas City and St. Louis, which obviously those are the voters who are going to be most, um, you know, are most leaning towards her anyway. There's still a question about can she make up for the governor's advantage in rural Missouri? And so, and so that's real, the real challenge in her race. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that maybe next week or at another time. But and maybe we'll do a special podcast. We'll see. Keep keep your dial set on deep background. But let's let's get quickly to the Senate race in Kansas. And Brian, I'll start with you. Where do we stand on that thing? Everybody suggests it's a toss up as we're two weeks out. She's got plenty of money. Uh, you're getting all kinds of national rumble that maybe this is a place where the Dems could pick up a seat. And yet it's just hard for those of us who have been around Kansas for most of our lives to even imagine such a thing. I'll go to you well, first and then Jonathan. Well, I think it's, it's, there's only a few, I, I think only the economist has called it a toss up so far. And I believe like they're still favoring Marshall. That said, uh, you know, I do think that we are looking at one of the, the most competitive uh, Senate races we've seen in Kansas in decades, certainly probably since 74. And there, Bollier has beaten him on fundraising. That said, there's no shortage of Republican money coming in through groups like the Senate Leadership Fund to help Roger Marshall. That is a race where you, you see a real contrast to what the candidates are focusing on. Uh, Bollier is very much focusing on the issue of the moment, which is COVID-19. Her messaging has been very focused on the pandemic. And Marshall hasn't really had the best answer for that. And so if you look at some of the things that his campaign is trying to to highlight, they're going with some more uh, tried and uh, tried and tested strategies for Republican turnout in Kansas. They're focusing on things like gun rights. They're focusing on the abortion debate. They're getting into judicial selection debates. And so it, it's sort of the it's sort of the you know 
whether Boyer's messaging about the current moment uh, can get enough people who maybe are otherwise sympathetic to Republicans or whether or not Marshall just gets enough of that base out there with the red meat. Jonathan, how do you see the dynamics? Now, I guess there is one more debate uh, down in Wichita. Um, and uh, do you see it as a tide race? Is it two points? Is it, uh, are we all sort of looking past the history of Kansas? How do you see things? Um, well, I guess I will say simply that um, I'm not going to be surprised either way on election night. Um, but, I mean, you have to look at just just history and, and just the history of Kansas suggests that it would be certainly a monu- monumental achievement for Barbara Ballier if she won this race. Um, but that being said, I mean, you mentioned uh, the debate. Uh, I- I'm not sure how many more real opportunities there are to, to shift um, kind of the, the, the state of this, the state of play here. Um, I think the debates are, are interesting for, for journalists and, and political insiders. I think absent some kind of dramatic moment, I'm not sure how much they, they matter, but, um, but you also have to keep in, uh, take into mind that the voting is already underway in Kansas. And you have every day thousands of, of voters across the state locking in their choices. Um, and so the window of kind of uh, a persuasion here is, is, is rapidly uh, diminishing. And that's why I think you see um, so much uh, attention uh, and effort being focused into kind of uh, base turnout and mobilization. Um, and that's why you see the messages from Marshall that you see about abortion and gun rights. These are... These are not really intended to persuade uh, people in the middle, at least to my mind, or mo- most most voters in the middle. This is more about, you know, hey, uh, the, I think the implicit message is, hey, maybe maybe you're not super excited about Donald Trump this year, but you need to get out to the polls and still vote uh, because of abortion, because of gun rights, because of these other uh, conservative issues. Yeah. Um, Marshall had launched an ad recently, which was pretty interesting in that it was framing that Bollier would be a rubber stamp for Joe Biden. He, he did that fairly recently. The message of that ad is acknowledging that Joe Biden, I mean, that Joe Biden is favored to win the presidency right now. And for a guy who has, has aligned himself so closely with Donald Trump from Roger Marshall, it, it, it's, it's a pretty interesting pitch that he, that's at the point we are in the election where he needs to essentially pitch himself as the check on Biden. All right. Guys, I really appreciate it. We are a little truncated today because of other things. We'll, we'll reach out. Maybe we'll do a special edition of Deep Background before Election Day so the people can get a sense of where we're at a couple of uh, days out. But for now, Brian Lowry in D.C., thanks so much. Jonathan Shorman, by the way, new political reporter, lead political reporter for the Star. Jonathan, congratulations on that. Well-deserved and good luck. Thanks, <laughs> Having so done that job, I, I know what it means. And, of course, my friend Derek Donovan helping us out as well. I'm Dave of the Stars Editorial Board, you've been on Deep Background.
Oh, oh, oh.